All right, we are live for a Monday night RTD Q&A session with nobody special finance, Mr. Jack Gamble. I appreciate you joining me, my friend, a uh, fan of your work. You do a good job of educating and helping uh, other people make sense of this craziness. So I'm honored to have you on the show. Uh, but first and foremost, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Mike. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Uh, I love the show and it's great to be here. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I, once again, man, what an interesting start of the new year. Uh, we're 24 days into it and there's so many avenues we could take. But one thing I know you do a great job of covering uh, is the whole China real estate contagion that's already unfolding right now. We don't hear much about it because there's so many other things been thrown away from silver to markets, of course, responded not too favorably, fair taper. I mean, all that stuff. So, you know, out of all the issues, I guess, you know, let's shine some light on the China situation. Share your two cents on that. Is it is it that big of a deal or is it something that's just one of many other things, in your opinion? I'd say it's one of two. I'd say it's it's probably the the contender for the biggest financial story in the world right now. If I mm. if I really had to hand, handicap it, the other being the Fed and the narrative of tightening and raising rates and will that crash markets? You know that's that's one major story that's going on right now. And yeah. you know China's over here saying, "Hold my beer, look at what I'm doing with my housing market." You think 2008 was bad? Watch what we do. Mm. And uh, it, it really shocked me. I I didn't really catch wind of this story until late summer. And, you know, the more I read into it, I, I was just amazed it wasn't getting more coverage in financial press because the scope of this problem is so, so massive that right. there's just no way it stays contained to mainland China. There's just zero chance. It's so big. Right. And it, it, it really stems all the way back to the Communist Party and the one child policy. If you, if you had to guess where it started, it starts mm -hmm. at the one child policy. Yeah. Um, and that's created this big imbalance in the population. Number one, you have a lot of people aging out of the housing market, right? China has a very lopsided elderly population. And when people age, their housing requirements change. Mm -hmm. um, so you have that is a demographic that's affecting the housing market. But you also have this massive imbalance between men and women. There's actually 39 million more women than there are men in China right now. Mm -hmm. or, I'm sorry, the other way around. There's 39 million more men than there are women. Right. All right. So that's. The entire population of California, basically, all single guys who will never get married. Um, they are deprived. They won't have children. Right. That's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And it's turned into the point where home ownership is basically a prerequisite for marriage now, where if if you want to get a girl, if you're a young guy, you want to get a girl, you mm -hmm. want to get her family's approval. You better own a home. If you don't. <laughs> you're not. It's not happening. Right. So built into housing prices is no longer just the value of the home. It's no longer just you know, is this a good investment or not? It's the desperation of this is my only chance to ever have a family. Mm -hmm. And it, in some cities, it's reached this obnoxious proportion, like the city of Shenzhen, it peaked, it was the average home, the median home price was 45 times the average salary in the city, wow. 45 times a year's salary. I mean, think about here in the States, right? Say you got a hundred thousand dollar salary in some of the more wealthy cities. You're talking a four point five million dollar medium or median home price. Not that's not the McMansion. That's like your average, you know, eight hundred square foot apartment is going for forty five years of salary. So it, it's just ballooned to this ridiculous proportion. Yeah, and, I, and that's completely unsustainable so in of itself it's designed to collapse and over the last i would say seven eight years i've been talking about gl the global monetary picture i remember um talking a lot about the ghost cities 
and how all of those phantom cities that they have the entire infrastructure built out in advance for what I believe is going to be a part of their, you know, global restructuring of their monetary world order, where they they intend on utilizing those sometime in the future to, you know, bring in all the countryside, you know, rural area individuals into the city to basically try to recreate and mimic what we're doing here in the West by having easy access to credit, you know, un, you know, mall activity, all the things that they lack now, they plan on having that in the future. But the question is, Will they be able to accomplish that amongst all the other chaos they're having? And so at, at this current moment, w- what's the count of real estate developers that have, you know, gone under or within a 30 day window of trying to meet their debt obligations? Did, did, are you aware of? Oh, I couldn't give you an actual count. We know we've had Evergrande is officially defaulted. We've had mm-hmm. Kaisa has officially defaulted. Yuan just officially defaulted. And then there's there's a dozen others, you know, Cynic, Sunak, Oceanwide or Oceanside. Uh, Shimeo is one. Shimeo was really eye-opening because they had an investment investment grade credit rating right up until November. And all of a sudden, Shimeo, their stock and their bonds start tanking and nobody knows what's going on. Right. And then it was a few weeks later, they announced, yeah, we're probably not going to be able to make our next payment. They have missed the payment. I believe they're still in their 30-day window. Um, but that left Fitch and Moody's and everybody saying, oh, we have investment grade ratings on this stuff. Oops. Mm-hmm. Oops. And, you know, this is uh, it's bringing back shades of 2007, 2008. The ratings agencies are asleep at the wheel. Moody's still has not ever downgraded Evergrande. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they haven't downgraded them to default. They they their 30 day grace period expired. I think it was in the middle of December mm-hmm. and Moody still hasn't downgraded mm-hmm. them. So, man, it's like nobody learned their lessons. Right. And we, I think we, at this point, we can see that it's a concerted effort by all of the rating agencies because they're all in this together. Because I, of, of course, they happen to they know the bigger deal, the bigger picture is that it's just not about one particular company. It's the entire country and their transition. So I don't see them you know, actually doing any uh, downgrading anytime soon because that leads to definitely trickle down to all those dollar denominated uh, liabilities that won't be paid. So as of now, I'm hearing that China is basically helping if in some cases maintain credibility of those companies within China. But when it comes to the external debt, they're letting some things in dollar terms probably go under your, in, in, from what we're hearing. So, so yeah, you've had um, just recently, they announced the risk management committee over at Evergrande, which is this committee of nine people that is overseeing the restructuring of Evergrande's debt. Well, six of the nine members of that committee are government officials. So the government has already nationalized Evergrande. They've taken it over. Uh, Now, what's probably going to end up happening is they're going to take all of Evergrande's assets and anything that's worth anything is going to be sold, probably at a huge loss Mm -hmm. to one of these state-owned enterprises, one of these government asset managers or one of the government-owned developers, and they're going to take over the project. And whatever is left over is going to be used to pay Chinese citizens. Now, their their Chinese government, they only fear their own people. Right? Chinese right. government is not afraid of American creditors. They're not afraid of European banks that want their money back. Chinese government is afraid of social unrest. They don't want to have a repeat of the unfortunate thing that, if I mention it, I might get your channel in trouble. Right, right, right. Um, we all realize what that is. Yeah. Um, so... What they're probably going to end up doing is they'll, they'll whatever cash is left, they'll pay back the people that have already paid for apartments. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll try to make sure those projects get finished. They'll deliver them apartments that aren't worth anywhere near what they paid, but they will try to deliver the apartments. And they'll also probably prioritize paying back these poor schmucks who bought these wealth management products 
which is this secret off balance sheet debt that all these developers have, which are basically unregulated debt securities that these mm -hmm. companies sell to unsuspecting investors. They promise these ungodly returns of 10, 15%, which I tell my viewers all the time. If you see somebody promising you a risk-free 15% return, right. run. They're selling right. you hot garbage. Right. Um, <laughs> and Evergrande in particular, they were strong arming their employees to buy these wealth management products under threat of bad performance reviews or even termination. I mean, they were they were paying these employees their salaries and then strong arming the money right back from them. Uh, so China has hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people nationwide now that are owed money and owed apartments. And that's their big fear is maintaining social order. So social unrest is their biggest nightmare. That's who's right. going to get paid back. BlackRock, sorry, you're last in line. They're not going right. to get anything. Now, how timely is all of this unraveling of their real estate bubble at the same time they're rolling out the CBDC? And so what's the probability of them make try attempting to make those real estate investors whole by simply having them sign up with the digital yuan app and the things that's already been rolled out there and they try to just transfer some of those digits of what could have been lost into their new wallet because once again this whole cbdc stuff happens to be at the right time where there's gonna be a lot of people left short of all those failed obligations to pay to where that kind of buys them some time what, what, what how do you think that might work boy cbdc i mean if you put yourself in the mind of this Chinese communist oppressive overlord. Isn't it just like your wildest dream come true? <laughs> Programmable money. I can make the money do whatever I want it to do. Right. I can control every aspect of people's lives without having to shoot them or round right. them up. Oh my goodness, this is great. Of, of course, China is going to seize the opportunity to roll out a CBDC. It's a, <laughs> it's their wildest dream. Um, I wouldn't be, I you couldn't get me to put my worst enemy's money into a Chinese digital currency. I mean, mm -hmm. so. You know, it's it's not surprising that they banned cryptocurrency in China because cryptocurrency was an avenue of capital flight. A lot of wealthy Chinese investors realized the writing was on the wall, what was going on in the Chinese economy. And they have these restrictions. You're really not allowed to bring but so much money at a time out of the country. Well, buying Bitcoin is, a, is an easy way to get around that. So you had Chinese investors were buying cryptocurrency and then just, you know, walking their private keys out of the country one way or another. So, of course, they had to ban cryptocurrency. Um, speaking of crypto in China, Tether is probably going to come mm -hmm. up. I don't know if you're familiar with the Tether story. Yeah. Um, we don't know what Tether is using to back their dollars and whether or not they, well, we know they don't have dollars, right? They, right. That's why they settled with the attorney general of New York. Um, and that's about 80% of the trading in crypto is done in Tether. So we know they, in their latest attestation, which is like their sad excuse for an audit, they said they had about $30 billion of commercial paper mm -hmm. and nobody in Wall Street does business with Tether. So where else in the world can you get $30 billion of commercial paper? If not the US, China's pretty much it. So mm -hmm. we know Tether's balance sheet one way or another is loaded up with this Chinese garbage all right? right we don't know exactly what company they won't let in their books now there is a case ongoing right now with the new york attorney general's office where coindesk has sued under a freedom of information law in new york to get the actual balance sheet at tether released to them right and new york was about to release it when tether sued to block it and it's still ongoing whether or not that information is going to be made public or not now coindesk 
has a it, the owners of CoinDesk have a stake in USDC, mm-hmm. so which is kind of a competitor of Tether. So Tether is using that argument to try to shut down that case. But boy, I'd love to see what Tether actually has. And this this argument that the the assets that they're holding to back the Tether investments, right. that it's somehow proprietary or a privacy matter is flatly that's, that's garbage and stupid. Right. Right, right. and that's the thing. Right, investors' money. They, you owe it to them to tell them what what it's in. Right, and so just the whole and advent of the tether stable coin, tether being the first one, it's worked out quite well for the Western powers that be because it's a alternative route for the Federal Reserve notes to flow through. And of course, with tether, the likelihood of them actually exposing what they're holding on to. It, it, I think it work out two ways. One, they'll do it because they're 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 usually they're going to do that to actually cause more problems and pain in the crypto space, which we're experiencing now, or they won't because they're not willing and wanting to let go uh, of the narrative of this whole decentralized crypto cr- cryptocurrency stuff that they're putting out there. Because once again, and I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch uh, the recent interview with uh, David Morgan and, and Boyd Anderson. Do you have a chance to catch that one? I didn't catch that one, but I, I've been watching David for a long time, and yeah, so I know the, his thoughts on Tether. <laughs> the crypto curse. I did a couple of videos on you know confessions of crypto skeptic a while ago. So I, I love throwing out challenges to the crypto community, just because I don't think it's by coincidence that we're here at a digital transition of our monetary system at the same time that stuff was invented and being pumped out there as the digital gold 2.0. So I think it's all interconnected towards a more, more evil, sinister plan. But I'll I won't go down that route. But uh, so yeah, when it comes to the tether situation, I think it can blow things up at any moment when they're ready. And so I don't see any of those government agencies, you know, really unveiling what's behind the curtain until they're ready to do so. So I take all that stuff with a grain of salt that I hear about the regulators cracking down. Yeah, they don't crack down. They're in this to win this thing as far as transition is. But uh, so at at this current moment, uh, do you think all the response in the market sell-off is due to the Fed taper narrative as to whether they can or can't and markets are responding negatively to that or what? Uh, right now, yes, I would, I would say, and maybe it's not the actual act of the taper that's doing it because it's Mm -hmm. questionable how much of that is really going on right now. Um, you know, they'd have to let something like $20 billion roll off their balance sheet this week in order to meet their $90 billion target for this month, right? Mm -hmm. They said they were going to only buy $90 million this month. They're already at 110 billion. Mm -hmm. So unless they're about to roll off 20 billion off the balance sheet in in the next few days, they're not going to meet their target. Uh, but I think you probably see a lot of the market front running what the Fed is going to do. And, you know, we've seen before the Fed can move markets just talking. Right. right. I mean, they they announced this big special purpose vehicle back in March of 2020. They were going to come in and they were going to start buying up junk bonds and corporate right. bonds. Right? right. And they said, we're going to do this to prop up the debt market. Next thing you know, Wall Street is just flooding into these debt, debt instruments, buying them up like crazy. The yields absolutely tank. The prices go through the roof. And the Fed never ended up buying very much of it. They didn't need to. Just right. the Fed jawboning achieved the desired effect on target. So now are, the, are those vehicles, are those still an option? Are they still on the table? Because I remember when, as Trump was leaving and the prior Treasury Secretary, did they, they let them expire? The option of using those vehicles or, or yes. no? Yeah, that, I, I don't know if the option expired. I know they bought very, very little of it and that it is gone. It's off their balance sheet. Okay. So I, I don't know that they... I mean, they could always bring it back, right? They right. technically it's outside their mandate anyway. Their their mandate is to stabilize prices and maximize employment. I don't know where buying corporate bonds and propping up the bond market falls into that, but 
So, I mean, they'll bring it back the second they need it. it right. You know, so they, 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 they've already failed at the first two. So they're adding additional mandates. And so you know, right. we got the, the state at 7% inflation, CPI, whatever. We know it's probably double, if not greater than that. So at this current moment, a lot of people in the RTD community just believe that the Federal Reserve is just jawboning. They don't really have any true control over how things uh, move forward. They're just trying to control the narrative still. Are, are you of the same mind or do they still have some tools in their kit that can try to sway things other than just Jerome Powell get up there talking? Well, they, they do have tools, right? I mean, they a sledgehammer is a tool, um, but if you're trying to do perform delicate surgery and a sledgehammer is your only tool, <laughs> good luck, right? right? And that's that's what they're trying to do. They've, they've built this economy that is dedicated, just totally addicted to easy money. Mm-hmm. And we've been on it for so long, really since 71, or if you want to go all the way back to 1913, when they created the Fed. But we've been on it for so long that we're now hooked on it and we need increasing amounts of it to achieve the same effect, just like right. a narcotic works. Right. And, and, and our, we're now the doses of it are getting so big that we're starting to cause damage to the economy. We're, we're hurting our bodies. Right. And we need to get off this stuff. But the second we try to get off of it, we get the shakes and the itches and everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the market crashing. And right. we saw that in 2018 when uh, we had the very famous Powell pivot. Right. We, he was tightening rates. He was quantitative tightening. And then all of a sudden, the market started crashing in November of 2018. And right around Christmas Eve, it got really bad. Powell very abruptly starts cutting rates. We had three consecutive rate hikes. And then the next thing you know, we had repo madness a few months later in September of 2019. And next thing you know, now we're printing again. Right. So in a span of nine months, we went from tightening and raising rates to printing again. I mean, and then a few months after that, the unfortunate health situation began. Right. And, you know, then forget it. They just turned on the waterfall. Right. So as we know, there will be no, with no, there'll be no, they're, they're not able to get away with the idea of with, with removing accommodative policies without causing hiccups. They, they can't will cause continue, severe pain. Yeah. Severe pain. And they can't continue to move forward because also, Main Street will continue to experience more pain. So either way it goes, pain is in our future. Now let's talk about how people can, I guess, minimize uh, their uh, exposure to this pain, if, if it's even possible, because it's a global systemic event all in and of itself right. that impacts each and every area of our lives. Is there any way of minimizing the pain for those that are awake and aware, in your opinion? Uh, so, I mean, removing as much of your wealth from their circle from their influence is obviously your, you know, the easiest way for most people to do it. I make regular purchases of physical gold and silver mm-hmm. dollar cost average into it. I don't try to trade or time the market. Um, so that's one way you can preserve your, your wealth from the eroding effects of inflation, which we have right now. Um, now I actually think they are going to cause that pain. I think they're going to do it on purpose. They know it's mm-hmm. coming, right? The, the fed officials, they sold their stocks. Right. To eliminate the appearance of a conflict of interest. Right. Oh, they they suddenly (laughs) found ethics. Okay. No, No, they knew because they're about to crash the market. That's why they sold the stocks. The same reason Musk just sold his Tesla and all the other CEOs are dumping. Right. Um, So they are going to cause the pain. They've already told us with their wallets what they're going to do. And and it's not by chance that now they're starting to roll out the literature about the CBDCs because Mm -hmm. they're going to create the pain to give them the mandate to do what they've always wanted to do. And, you know, people are saying, how are they going to get away with printing money again? Or how are they going to get away with rolling out the CBDCs? And I mm-hmm. said, I tell them all the time, because you're going to beg them to do it. Right. They're going right. to cause so much pain 
that you're just going to beg them. The public will be crying out to just somebody do something. Right. And then they'll turn on the printers and then they'll roll right. out the CBDC. Let me uh, share a headline with you that I came across. If I can, let me add it to my stream real quick. Here we go. It says Bank of America says U.S. CBDC would preserve dollar status as world reserve currency. So just a couple days after the announcement of that discussion paper, we have all the tech, it's crypto, you name it, uh, magazine, mainstream news sources out here now promoting the idea of a CBDC. So isn't it just timely how, I guess, this this right here version of a dollar will allow the U.S. to continue to stay on top of the world with their reserve currency status. So um, it, it's just amazing how things are rolling out at a very alarming pace. But they're trying to sell it now to the public by saying this it will be good for us. But we know where it will take us because we just look at what's happening in, uh, with the digital uh, yuan and things like that. So, but I just thought I would share this because it was, you know, caught my attention. <laughs> now, this always struck me really as just a digital rent and mark. You know, yeah. like they had the hyperinflation in Weimar, Germany. And instead of changing their behavior and the underlying causes of the inflation, they just shaved a bunch of zeros off the value of the mark and they called it something else. Now it's the rent and mark. And of course, the rent and mark failed too. Right. And then Venezuela did the same thing with their hyperinflation. They just shaved six zeros off of it. They called it right. the Boulevard Fuerte or, you know, the strong Boulevard, whatever. That didn't work. And then a few years later, they shaved seven more zeros off. And that's 13 zeros they've shaved off their currency. Yeah. Right? Digital dollar, the CBDC, even if they roll this out, it'll fail. I mean, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll create pain, but they won't change the underlying cause of the inflation and of the market crash that caused it. And so it's going to fail the same way the rent and mark failed and the same way the Boulevard Fuerte failed. Yeah. That at some point we have to come back to reality where there are limited resources and we can't spend the next three generations worth of wealth on unicorns and rainbows and pet projects and whatever else we think we're going to do. We have to act like resources are limited because they are. Right. And, and it's going to take more than a CBDC. It's going to take a massive shock to the system, right? The, you cannot get an addict off of a narcotic without extreme pain, without extreme withdrawal. And, and that I, I don't see any easy way around that. I think they're going to try it. They're, it's going to fail, though. Right. I agree. So do you think this whole uh, narrative around the Ukraine and Russia happens to be a diversion of our attention from the economic woes that we're about to experience as a way of trying to prolong things because war is profitable? And of course, that'll be the excuse where the Fed tried. They talked to the culture good game, but yet we were trying to defend the free world against the Russians. So do you think that could be another can kicker as far as prolonging things if it gets to that point or no? In part, I don't want to I don't want to oversimplify what's going on there because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not from the region, but I, right. you have conflicting loyalties. You have a lot of longstanding issues going on there that harken back to the Soviet Union. Right. So I, I don't want to oversimplify it by saying this is all just one big distraction. There, mm -hmm. There's legitimate grievances on both sides. Right. Right. Um, but to your point. I think a lot of world leaders simply put they need a war. Mm -hmm. They they need a war, especially, and we haven't talked about this yet, but I think there is such massive food inflation on the horizon because of this fertilizer story that has mm -hmm. sprung up out of the energy crisis. Yeah. There are farmers all over the world right now because fertilizer prices have doubled or some cases tripled in the last year. They're cutting back on their application of fertilizer or they're planting different crops this year. There's going to be such a shock to global crop yields in 2022 that the food inflation we've already seen is going to be, it's going to pale in comparison to what's coming. Yeah. And when it gets too expensive to eat, people get angry. They get very angry and you get social unrest. And uh, we've seen it before when the, when the population is 
resentful and, and angry, a lot of leaders will start wars to deflect that anger outward. Yeah. Um, and the example I always use is the Falkland Islands and the Argentinian government when the military junta in Argentina was running that country's economy into the ground. They just went and started a war over the Falkland Islands. I mean, there was this pre-existing dispute that was there. You know, the Argentinians claimed it was theirs and the UK claimed it was theirs and mm -hmm. legitimate one way or the other who it, who it belonged to. But the reason that war started is because the economy in Argentina was so bad and the government was trying to save its own skin by making the people angry at the UK. All right. And so, so speaking of, I'm going to continue. Right. I was going to just pop up this article real quick, referencing what you're talking about with the fertilizer. But it says spike fertilizer prices may curtail crop production. It says the bag of fertilizer that would sell that would have sold for eleven dollars in 2021 is now going for about 19.95 in the beginning of 2022. So, um, do you think like it's usually it's usually a lagging effect when things when prices creep up? So, are we looking at this spring summer crops primarily, or perhaps there was a little bit of reserves for the farmers to be able to get through this particular year where we might end up seeing the repercussions of the prices next year, or, or what do you, what are you thinking? Or it depends on where you're at. So we'll, we'll see right now because this started in the fall is, mm -hmm. is when the fertilizer prices really started climbing. Yeah. And a lot of farmers in the U S held off their fertilizer buys. Mm -hmm. Some, some ate the higher prices and some held out hoping for prices to come down that they were going to buy in the spring. So you still have a lot of farmers here in the States who've not placed their orders yet. Now, prices have come down a little bit in the last week or two. It's the first mm -hmm. time since October that they've come down. Um, but you're talking about they've come down a couple of percent when they're up almost 200 percent in some cases. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a lot of farmers that still haven't bought the stuff. So you have a lot of buying pressure that's been withheld. And as soon as those farmers decide, OK, I, I'm out of time, I need to buy. You might see those prices pump right back up. And you also may not have any supplies. Uh, China is not exporting any fertilizer. Russia is not exporting any fertilizer. U.S. production was hurt by Hurricane Ida along the Mississippi River Delta. And mm -hmm. the European fertilizer plants are starting up and shutting down every other week because the power prices are so high there. Uh, so it's questionable whether a lot of these farmers are even going to have the option of mm -hmm. even getting any fertilizer at any price. Right. Uh, so we, so, so we have the, less. Right. So we have the... Twitter's photos out there of all these empty shelves. So definitely that's nothing to, you know, to play around with. So obviously, you know, you're preparing from a financial standpoint of preserving your wealth, i.e. through metals or whatnot. So ideally when it comes to your calorie intake, you might want to get ahead of the curve and accumulate as much calories as you can through emergency preparation, as well as gardening and other type of things. So as far as educating your audience, what are some things that you share perhaps when it comes to uh, the food side of things? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am a really cheap guy. Don't get like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I live a pretty comfortable life and I, yeah. I, I do all right for myself, but I still look for what's on sale and I mm -hmm. load up on it when it's on sale. Or if there's some promotion where I can get a, a discount on gas, if I buy so much of this stuff, I'll load up on that. So I, <laughs> right. Same that's here. how I operate, man. <laughs> I have weird hobbies. Uh, so I'm always looking for long-term food preservation. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, if I can get some, some protein storage in the form of some dried beans or, you know, a couple of big bags of rice, you know, I'm not a big proponent of go out and start a garden. All right. Mm -hmm. I've done the gardening thing before. I, mm -hmm. I have my very modest tomato garden. That's more me just keeping myself regular psychologically than, yeah. than you know, I'm not going to not going to become a farmer overnight mm -hmm. and grow enough food to sustain me and my family. OK, if there's a lot of people who think, oh, I'll just start a garden and I'll grow my own food. No, what you're going to do is you're going to throw a lot of money at it. Mm -hmm. You're going to fail. Right. And you're going to end up in worse shape than you started. If you're not an experienced gardener and you think you're going to go start a garden this year and grow enough food to survive, you're crazy. Right. Not going to happen. 
Okay. Right. You're going to, what you're going to do is you're going <laughs> to blow through cash. You're going to be going to Lowe's or Home Depot 10 times a week to buy another tool or another thing. You're going to plan at the wrong time or you're going to use the wrong thing. You're not going to get any food out of it. So I love gardening as a hobby. I do it, but it is not something I can rely on for a food supply. Right. Um, I, I'm I, the same way. So I, I started I started late being a city boy. I don't know nothing about it. I must admit, I know my weaknesses. So I've attempted to educate myself. I've spoken with a lot of good preppers out there to get some basics. And so I do try, I must admit. But yet uh, I realize that we are in very interesting times. And so as far as this, you know, looking ahead, you know, what are your thoughts on the precious metal side of thing? Of course, last week, I think silver was probably the best performing uh, you know, asset out there because it was pretty much the only thing that in gold, the only thing in the green at the beginning of the sell-off of the markets last week. But as far as gold and silver, what are your thoughts moving forward uh, this year? Will something break? Will they continue to clamp it down? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so silver squeeze is working. Let me first mm-hmm. off say that. The silver squeeze, the registered inventory in the COMEX is down. I haven't looked at the numbers in the last few days, but it, the last I checked, it was 81.3 million ounces mm-hmm. or 82 million ounces in the registered category. That's down from about 150 million a year ago. So they're running out of metal. Yeah. Right. And the only way to get more metal into that registered category to get it up for sale is for the prices to go up. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the inventory is going to keep keep draining. Um, I was loving last week, and then I made a video. I felt terrible because I feel solely responsible for derailing the silver move last week. I did a video that said <laughs> I'm not doing any silver trades until I see it break above its 200 day moving average mm-hmm. retest and then move higher. And that was right around 2467. And that day <laughs> it went up to like 2471 and it came back down and it's gone down ever since. So I feel, I feel solely responsible. I apologize to all the silverbacks who are watching right now. It's my fault. I did it. Yeah. Um, well, here, well, here's the thing. My big fat mouth. The spot price, you know, and I, I try to encourage people not to focus on the price rather focus on possession because they can do a good job of, you know, tamping down the price anytime they want, but you'll never be able to go into the store and get it at that price. So as far as, you know, the idea of getting physical, do you, are you a proponent of, you know, certain traded vehicle ETFs? I mean, I know Sprout is doing some big things. And so what are you more towards 50, 50 or depending on your strategy or what do you think? So I, I have to preface with my compartments. I compartmentalize okay. my money, right? So okay. I have my brokerage account where I trade, and I do, you know, every now and then I'll get into like mining derivatives and things like that mm-hmm. in that account. That's that's one one area. And that's when I talked about the 200 day moving average and yeah. everything. That's me trading. I have my other compartment with my inflation hedges. And that's where mm-hmm. I dollar cost average into gold and silver. And sorry to the crypto guys who hate crypto, but also mm-hmm. Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make regular buys in those categories and I don't even look at prices. I just okay. that's like bills that need to be paid. I dollar cost average in. I pay myself first. That's before anything else. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always buying the physical. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of physical and of if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Right. Now, there are cases like in my brokerage account. I also I own some PSLV. So I do mm-hmm. own a little bit of Sprott. Um, and I understand that I've taken on a little bit of counterparty risk in owning PSLV versus owning holding the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other derivatives that are out there. Like I'm looking into Kinesis. I'm close on Kinesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have some questions about how the accounts are funded over there that I haven't been able to pull the trigger there. Yeah. Um, and then there's other, other ways you can do it. Like I trust capital has their gold and silver IRAs where you mm-hmm. can invest tax advantaged, uh, funds into gold and silver. Again, with each one of these vehicles, the further you get from physical in your possession, you are taking on a little bit of counterparty risk. So, yeah, 
you know, that, all of those, there, there's so many different options out there. The one thing I could tell you is with a 10 foot pole, I do not touch SLV or unallocated storage schemes. Right. Okay, th- those are IOUs. Those are the least, they're paper claims. They're not gold or silver. So those right. I, I won't touch. That's real. That's real. So that's the thing. Like everybody has their own unique strategy, which, you know, they pursue for, you know, now and in the future. So I, I'm just, I keep it simple. I'm not a complicated guy. I just talk about the importance of actually having something real, real that you can feel at all times, because I, I also believe based upon where all this is heading, it won't, it will not take much of actual physical weight to make a big difference in your financial future, just because if everything in the world does dominate in, a, in a, some type of debt instrument, when it all resets or not resets or gets wiped away or debt jubilee or whatever is going to be looked at in the history books, it goes back to zero. So just having a single ounce or, of course, more will do you good justice in the days ahead because we're being transitioned deliberately to a, a solely digital world, which I am not a big fan of. And so it just I, I encourage people to stay in the real world as best you can. <laughs> of course, dip and dabble in accordance with what you like or whatnot, but just be weary because they, they're wanting to take us this way. Now, another thing I love to mention is the Economist cover of 1987. I, I just I go back to that. You know, at 2018, it told us that we were going to be looking for a new world currency, burning fiat currencies, Phoenix, the next, the gold down, cosmos or stellar crypto, whatever, however it plays out. And so nothing's by coincidence. Is that something that you refer to at all or, you know, use what do you use as a like a, a, a something to stay grounded on? Because, of course, on top of all this stuff, you got volatility and everything. You can come, somehow be disheartened a little bit when you see metal prices. Is, is What do you use to kind of stay sane or remind you of where we're at and where we're heading? So I, I have a mantra of when in doubt, zoom out mm-hmm. right? And, and look at all these charts and just scroll way, way out, whether yeah. it's the S&P 500 or the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, mm-hmm. or interest rates on the uh, 10-year U.S. Treasury. When in doubt, zoom out. And you can see that these trends, although they've been going on for decades, they are wholly 100% unsustainable. Yeah. At some point, it breaks, right? And if I knew that to the day when it breaks, I'd be a billionaire. Uh, but uh, nobody knows exactly when it's going to happen. But there's a couple of things that are happening right now, like the U.S. 10-year Treasury note, which is the benchmark interest rate, is on pace to go below zero this decade. Mm-hmm. Just the trend that's been in place since the end of the inflation in the 1970s. Right? And every time those interest rates get above a certain threshold, something in the economy breaks. So there's right. this this ceiling is constantly coming down, pushing us, pushing our interest rates lower. You know, the last time we hit ran into that ceiling was in December of 2018, the Powell pivot. The time before that was the global financial crisis. The time mm-hmm. before that was the dot-com bubble. Every time we come up against this ceiling in interest rates, something breaks. And yes, pretty close to that right now. Right. So, so based upon those scenarios that you know give a get, paint a good picture of history, lets us know that something's around the corner. So, I, I have three things I don't enjoy talking about, but I think are possibilities. I just saw a tweet a moment ago. The U.S. is warning that sci- that Russia can you know uh, throw out a cyber attack you know any moment now. So that was just a fresh tweet not long ago. So we got the cyber attack. We got all type of warning exercises taking place. Russia Ukraine situation is going to could be used. And then also we know that the banking sector, everything is predicated upon the banking sector continue to I guess uh, stay operational even though they're closing banks and all that stuff going on. So at any moment something can happen. And I think it just feels like this year will be the possibility of some type of an event. And so it's just a matter of which one. So I really encourage people to stay a couple steps ahead, given the fact we kind of know the game plan. They can't invent nothing new. Everything is cyclical in nature. 
So do the best you can to stay plugged and educate yourself and, and try to, as you mentioned earlier, rem remove as much of your financial dependency upon the system out of it, even though that's very hard because we've been very blessed here in the developed world. So we know nothing like what it would be, what life would be like in a second or third world environment. But yet I think that's where things could be heading, unfortunately. You know, the other thing is this is there's never been a better time to start a side hustle, a side mm -hmm. gig, invest in yourself a little bit, develop yeah. a skill, develop a talent, start that side business. You know, they, they talk about the great resignation, 4 million mm -hmm. people a month are quitting their jobs in the U.S., but they also didn't mention that in 2021, more new businesses were started in the U.S. than ever before. There was, I think it was five and a half million new businesses were started in 2021 Yeah. versus, you know, it was like 3 million in 2019. So there is this wave of entrepreneurship and innovation that is bubbling beneath the surface as you know, you have a lot of people are talking about how the younger generations are lazy and nobody wants to work anymore. Yeah, there is that going on, but you also have a lot of people that are not sitting around and waiting. They're taking matters into their own hands. They're investing in themselves. They're taking those chances. Right now is a great time to do that. You know, yeah. if, if you've been thinking about that side hustle or you know something as small as a Etsy shop or an eBay shop, go develop that thing on the side. To that just gives you one more option to insulate yourself when all this mayhem. If it, if, when it happens. If, when, right. Very true. So speaking of which, for those that are tuning in, uh, we have about, oh, 140 or so people dialed in. Uh, I'm excited to be with Nobody Special Finance, Jack Gamble. So let's throw some questions out there. So feel free in the chat, throw out some questions, highlight at Rethinking a Dollar to Stand Out, and we can definitely throw it out there and share our two cents on it. And I want to do something different. If you guys are interested in popping on screen and asking a question, I put the link uh, in the uh, in the chat there. So just click that. You guys can come on screen, ask a quick question or a thought. And uh, just basically we, the biggest thing is to try to use a community to continue to encourage one another, lift each other up and basically do the best we can to be of support to one another. And it comes through basically asking questions, sharing knowledge and trying to connect the dots, basically, because all this is you know, not, not necessarily a mystery anymore because we know where we're at. Now it's a matter of how can we be in those that are awake and aware protect and as well as thrive in the days ahead because it all boils down to be able to, to take care of yourself and also help other people. So uh, feel free to join us, throw some questions out there and we'll definitely get them uh, to Mr. Jack taking uh, taking his time to bless us with his uh, presence. But uh, let me see. SG says, just some thoughts here. It says, Mike, that symbol in the coin is the Greek letter phi, a.k.a. the golden ratio, a.k.a. God's fingerprint. Nothing to do with crypto at all. Yeah, SG. But once again, it happens to be a gold coin around a neck at the same time that we're being thrown all this crypto stuff. So I don't think, you know, whether that symbol you know, resembles that or not happens to do just just be something random. I think I think it has something to do with the whole cryptocurrency side of things, in my opinion. But uh, here's a question from Sandra Weeks. It says, what would happen to the Forex market in the event of a crash? Oh, that's a good one. Mr. So Gabby, we, what do you think about that one? We saw a little bit of that today, right? You know, at one point today, the Dow was down a thousand points. Some, somehow it just turned around and ended up closing green for the day. Right. Um, but you actually saw the dollar did really well today. And even though the dollar is losing value so fast, mm -hmm. the rest of the currencies in the world are losing value faster. Right. So, you know, the, the dollar's coming in first place in a contest of idiots, I guess. I don't know how else you would say it. Um, but, you know, you're seeing a lot of people are flooding into the dollar as inflation in their country gets worse or as there's more turmoil going on, I mean, like take it in Turkey right now, demand for dollars in Turkey has never been higher. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with the Euro. Right. Uh, so I think the dollar is getting stronger, at least relative to other currencies. OK, 
Okay. And I, I want to preface that that's relative to other currencies. That's not relative to stuff. That's not purchasing power. So mm -hmm. when you hear people in TV and in the press talking about the strong dollar, know that they're talking about the dollar versus the euro or dollar versus the yuan. They're not talking about the dollar versus bread and milk or a car or a house or anything else. Right. Very true. I do agree. And that's where when it comes to the Dixie and, and measuring Federal Reserve notes versus other fiat currencies, I think it's great because it's the underpinning of the financial markets and the system. But yet at the end of the day, we know the rest of the world is moving away from the Federal Reserve, no AK, the dollar and primarily led by Russia and China. So I, I never go too deep down that hole just because unless you are actually trading the Forex and have a skill set to be able to profit off of all that, you stand to hurt yourself more than you help yourself. By, you know, basically looking at the screen, trying to trade, win and get out because a lot of people are doing that now. A lot of people become traders because it seems like you can't lose when the Fed is, you know, continuously providing support for the system. But uh, this is my two cents there. Here's a question as well from SG. Uh, let me see. He says, I got a question. If gold and silver returns as money, how will they have enough to use as resources to power all this tech and its infrastructure? Hmm, great question. What are your thoughts on that? That's why I think gold is ultimately coming back as the backer of the currency. Now, mm -hmm. maybe I don't think we'll ever get back to exchanging gold in current in transactions. Right. I, but I do think whatever when when the dust settles from this mayhem, I think the only way out is going to be a currency backed by physical gold in a vault somewhere. Right. Audited regularly. Yes, we have the gold. Uh, I don't think. We're going to go back to transacting in, in physical metals. I, this It's just too cumbersome. And plus the value of gold. I mean, how, how are you going to buy food with gold? Are you going to break off a piece of your gold bar this big? And, you know, that right. it's, it's and, not efficient. You can't run an efficient economy that way. Now, right. silver is interesting because silver, you know, walks that fine line between monetary metal and industrial metal. And over the last, well, you could say 40 years, right? Since the Hunt brothers, silver has slowly become more of an industrial metal. Mm -hmm. And now the industrial demand for silver is higher than it's ever been. But now silver is making this big comeback as a monetary metal also. Right. And here, so not to cut you off, but yeah, I just I had to throw this out here about uh, the announcement of the, the lawmaker talking about the gold uh, back stable coin type of situation. So I can, of course, see the, intro, the introduction of a backed gold cryptocurrency but yet once again it's going to be i think not necessarily for the domestic use within the country there but more so to reestablish trust amongst the international community so that's why i i would love to go back towards a gold and silver not necessarily because i don't like the word backed because backed is basically a way to put to, to introduce something but then again at the end of the day they're going to diminish the amount of currency or or weight that is backed by to the point where it'd be non-existent like the prior history we've had we've had yep. so i'm not a big fan of backed currency i'd rather have the real thing but i know for the sake of this currency here this looks favorable for russia but uh do you, do you think here this is a part of the whole de-dollarization process by them throwing this out absolutely. here absolutely and i tell you you know look russia and china have been buying gold that's mm -hmm. what their central bank has been dying buying and European and U.S. central banks have been buying their own government's debt. Yeah. What does that tell you as far as where the power in the world is heading in the next <laughs> few decades? Very Boy. true. Very true. Here's another question here from Jesse James. Says, will the dollar gain if Russia invades Ukraine? Global stocks would sell off or no? Yes. Yes to both of those. I, you know, I think the dollar does gain strength. I think you'll have a flight to quality. In the, in the at least in the initial aftermath of any kind of military action, 
I think you see commodity prices rally. I think you see stocks sell off. I think you see uh, a flight into bonds. So you'll see yields on the uh, U.S. Treasury start to head down. And I think you see the dollar gain in strength. Now, this is this in alignment with uh, Brent Johnson's uh, dollar milkshake theory, basically saying that at some point when markets tank, the world would run to safety, i.e. via the uh, the dollar. And so it would take, I guess, w- w- how high do you think the dollar could go before we get into some type of other event, which then leads to, I'm assuming, the ultimate demise of that measuring tool? Or what do you think? Yeah, I don't think the dollar will gain in strength, but I don't think it it gains all that much. Because again, you're also talking about a lot of commodity prices being driven up by the war, right? Ukraine's mm-hmm. one of the biggest grain producers in Europe. So that's only going to add to the food shortage. Uh, oil prices, natural gas prices will just absolutely explode higher, mm-hmm. especially because if things light off in the Ukraine within the, a few days, I think it lights off in the Middle East also. Mm. Um, because so this is going to be, be a, uh, not just, this won't be an isolated event. This is going to be a Middle East, and of course, China will get involved because I think the U.S. will be, you know, a little stretched thin, so that where they can move forward on Taiwan. It looks like they're trying to do that as well. So, so I don't want to beat war drums. Ah, yeah, I, I, that's not me. But I just right. the geopolitical situation is what it is. You've got China, Russia, Iran holding joint naval exercises just outside the Strait of Hormuz, mm-hmm. where a quarter of the world's oil flows every day. You've got President Biden is hosting the Emir of Qatar. In the coming days, because he's trying to get Qatar to guarantee LNG cargoes, liquefied natural gas into Europe in case Putin shuts off the valves and invades Ukraine. Mm. Well, any LNG from Qatar that flows into Europe would have to get through the Strait of Hormuz. And to get through the Strait of Hormuz, you have to get past Russia linked Iran, who has threatened to close the strait and is running naval drills right now to close the strait. You've got Houthi rebels in Yemen backed by Iran who are lobbing missiles at Abu Dhabi right now, there was just last night, mm-hmm. there was a ballistic missile strike on Abu Dhabi that nobody was killed, thank God. Um, so you've you've got Iran attacking energy infrastructure through its proxies in the Middle East as the U.S. is looking for the Middle East to be an alternative to Russian gas. Mm-hmm. If it comes to shots fired in Europe, I don't think the Russians just sit back and allow that Qatari LNG to flow into Europe. I think they call on the Iranians to shut down the strait. And that sends oil. That sends oil way, way higher. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, just you know, throw out a ballpark figure. You know how through you talk about two, three hundred dollar. I mean, I've heard some commentators talk about they see three hundred dollar uh, gas or uh, oil prices in the not too distant future. Do you think like those type of numbers or some or less more? What do you think? Just ballpark. I'd say those numbers are in. Play. If it came down to the Strait of Hormuz, those numbers are in play. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, a couple more questions here, man. Appreciate you guys. As always, definitely hit the uh, thumbs up button. Show your support for the channel. Let's get to a couple more questions here. Man, I'm enjoying this. Uh, man, man, man. This is oof, very interesting times. So here's another question. Says, uh, no, that's the wrong one. Let me go uh, go up here. Here's another one. It says, do you think the market, do you think the market will sell off? Uh, do you think the market sell off will keep happening regardless of the Fed's interest hikes? Regardless do you think the market sell-off will keep happening regarding the Fed's interest rate interest hike? Okay, the Fed is going to hike, so I I think that's I think that's all but certain because they with me they don't have any credibility left. Correct. But with John Q. Public, for some reason, the Fed still has credibility left. So mm-hmm. they're going to hike, like they're saying they're they're going to. They they have to now. They they've committed to that. Right. Um. I don't think this sell-off we had today or this one going on this week 
and I, I, I was making a video today when the Dow was down a thousand points. And while mm-hmm. I was recording, I said, I don't think this is the big one. Right. Yeah. But I wasn't willing to bet any money on it. And right. before I could get the video edited and published, the Dow recovered and ended up closing green. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here on YouTube saying, no, I don't think this is the big one. Well, at yeah. the time I said that we were down a thousand points. It was a really good call. But by mm-hmm. the time I got it posted, I can't take credit for now, it. Now, when I think a big one, I'm thinking about something that is like uh, like earth shattering, like, you know, David Hunt, you know, 70, 80, 90. I'm, that's, that, that's when I think of big ones, like, you know, yes. 10 to 15 can tend to be just some typical waves out there of just, you know, typical volatility and, and, and concerning markets. But is the can the big one actually be 70, 80, 90% you think? And then, of course, how would the Federal Reserve going to come out with something nuclear, I think, as far as their response, when you say? It, it could be 70, 80, 90. And I think that would actually be the best thing for everybody, mm-hmm. believe it or not, because that's that's how the addict gets off the drug, right? right. As he goes through withdrawal, there's no easy way to go through withdrawal, right? Um, it'd be the best thing in the world. It would be so painful. And, and I, you know, I say it's so easy for me to say people's lives would be destroyed, right? It would, right. Be, it would be mayhem. Um, yeah, it'd, it'd be a- and this era of funny money, which eventually is going to come to a head anyway. It, they won't let it get to that level. I, I don't even think they'll let it get to 50%. Really? Or before, before they, they cut, before they cut on a fire hydrant. Like they, they're dialing back the spigot. If yeah. it drops something beyond 15, 20%, you said the water hole or the fire hydrant will get cut on. Because the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, eight, nine, it was nine trillion or whatever. That, that's that's minor in comparison to where it probably can go. Do you see a 15, 20 trillion dollar plus accounting yes. long? I mean, because once they start, once they once they're proven to not be able to dial back on this current tapering phase they're going through, all all cards are off. They're gonna be completely exposed as being a fraudulent, they lied the whole time. Now we're just off to the races. And as a result of that hyperinflationary type environments or, or, or what do you think or yep. can a digital can a digital sphere curtail some of that and be a back door out to where it doesn't look like your conventional hyperinflation where we see dollars in the street so I mean, that's a lot in one <laughs> yeah, there is a lot <laughs> i think i got them all i think i got okay them all. okay uh so it'll be more than a 15 percent sell-off probably mm-hmm. more than a 20 percent sell-off right mm-hmm. where we were at one point today i think we were down 10 Mm-hmm. From the high, the, the sell-off had the correction had reached ten percent at one point today. We we recovered, um, but the big one will be much bigger than that. I think it probably gets 40 percent before the Fed takes action. Right, right now the Fed will do whatever the politics demands. Right? Mm-hmm. The Fed, their their political appointees, and you know the politicians will be pounding the table. There'll be pitchforks outside eventually if they don't. Mm-hmm. But they'll do what what the public wants, and right now the public wants them to fight inflation. And that means they're going to hike. That means they're going to taper. They're taking their sweet time. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to jawbone markets more to that way, but they're, they're going to have to do that. They have to fight inflation because that's what the public wants right now. So again, mm-hmm. kind of like the addict who wants to get mm-hmm. clean and he tells the drug dealer, he says, man, don't sell me this stuff no more. The next time I come back to you, don't sell it to me anymore. Right. <laughs> and then the, the dealer, the Fed says, okay, okay, no problem. And then the next time he comes back, he says, no, I told you, I, I can't give you your easy money. I can't give you your QE anymore. You said you wanted to get off it until you come back clawing at yourself, mm-hmm. demanding it. Please give me my QE. And then they say, oh, since you asked, since you're clearly in pain, now right. I'll give you what you want. 
They'll or, create that mayhem first. Right. Or, or exactly. I'll say, or do something completely erratic to where the, 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 the drug dealer is forced to respond just to, you know, get, get rid of you because you've really going to be bananas. They don't want nothing to do with you. But yeah. Um. Okay. Here's another question here from Tony B. It says, how high, this is during a little dollar chat a minute ago, but how high do you think the dollar will go before they go with another currency? How high do I think the dollar will go? Are we talking how high will the Dixie go? Yeah, the Dixie. Uh, I wouldn't put a target on the Dixie, to be honest with you. Um, again, that's you're trying to take in, in that calculus. You've got the dollar, but then you've got all these other currencies and you've got the weightings of those other currencies. You know, it's hard enough to predict what one central bank is going to do, all of them at the same time. That's tough. That's tough. Right. So I, I couldn't give you a target on the dollar, um, but I, I can tell you the hyperinflationary scenario. Once the market crash happens, and when the Fed acquiesces and gives what the public wants, what the public mm -hmm. demands, it's going to be more QE. That's when hyperinflation is on the table. And that's mm -hmm. that's when we're talking like definition hyperinflation, like 50% monthly is possible at that point. Um, because, again, the, the more addicted you get, the bigger mm -hmm. the dose has to be to achieve the same effect. I keep going back to that analogy of the narcotic. Yeah. This time around, the dose it's going to take is going to be so massive. It's gonna be fatal. It's gonna kill the patient. It's gonna. It's gonna. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's the, the economy will overdose ultimately. That's where. It's, that's where. That's how this ends, and that's the un, unpleasant part. Um, here's another question. Here it says, if all currencies collapse except the USD and the whole world ends up holding it, could that even work? The amount of dollars that we we'll need for the whole world, few, few. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the whole world collapse, is yeah. holding dollars right now. They're not right. holding dollars exclusively, but it is. It is the world reserve currency. So Correct. every country is holding it. Would the dollar take over as the sole currency in the world? I'm not sure I want to live in a world like that. And that's right. I'm, where, I'm where, trying where, to imagine my, where, I think where, my imagination fails me here on just how sinister and twisted powerful people could create a world on, in that scenario where, where it is one currency controlled by them. Right. And, and I think and that's where this is where I get into the spiritual essence of things like, you know, from a biblical standpoint, you know, towards the end of the book where Revelations is uh, telling us how things come to an end on a spiritual side of things in the natural realm. I think that at some point down the line, a lot of this CBDC interoperability, all this stuff that's being created using technology will be used as a catalyst towards get us to that point. But yet, I uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what type of world we're living in when that occurs. But <laughs> everybody would basically be be serfs of the United States in that scenario, right? Because the U.S. could print as many dollars as we wanted and give them out to our own citizen, right? And it mm -hmm. only devalues, only U.S. citizens would get all the benefits of that. Everybody right. else in the world would be paying for it in the form of their currency being devalued. So right. but then again, one of the right. reasons why the dollar is doomed as the reserve currency of the world is because we're doing that already. Every time right. we print, we devalue the reserves held by all these other countries. We're stealing value from them. Right. Can't do that forever. And I think you can you can increase the supply, but you can't really create the demand. And on top of that, the demand usually is absorbed into the real world goods. And that's what we're going to run short of, you know, the, the grocery stores and all the other items used to uh, uh, purchase those things. So but uh, hey, uh, we're almost approaching our 55 minute mark. Uh, didn't get anybody on the screen, but we'll definitely have to do it again. But uh, for those that are tuning in, I uh, hope you guys had a great uh, opportunity to, to to pick his brains, man. Wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you, Jack, for joining us. Let me actually, for those that are uh, members of the RTD community, nobody special finance on YouTube, go check them out if you haven't already and definitely show them some love over there. Doing a great job educating people. I'll put on the screen real quick. 
And of course, Jack, I'll have you back on in the future, man. Do this again. And Absolutely. I, I, I learn a lot and I appreciate you for sharing your expertise, my friend. Thank you, Mike. It was a great time. And uh, I'll come back anytime. And uh, I've got to have you on, on Nobody Special, too. We'll bring you on. I over. would love it, man. I love ranting and just sharing my two cents. Because as of this current moment, man, we're all trying to navigate these waters and figure out what works, what doesn't. But we all know the direction. <laughs> so how it plays out, yeah. who knows. But uh, we will find out. But here's uh, Nobody Special Finance. Go check them out. So once again, everybody, appreciate you for hanging out with us. Uh, yeah, hope you got some value from this uh, convo going back and forth. Hit the thumbs up button, show your support for Jack over on his channel, and uh, we'll be back at again doing a live stream in a couple hours. But uh, love to get you guys join us there as well. But other than that, be blessed, be safe, and we'll see you guys later. Peace. See you guys.